what did you want to be when you grew up? Um, I guess like lots of people, I wanted to be different things at different times. There was a time when I desperately wanted to be in the army. Mm. Um, I think just growing up, I just like playing with action men. I liked fighting. Mm. Um, there was a time, I think quite a brief moment in time when I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. Definitely grew out of that. Um, and I think there was quite a long period where I wanted to be a journalist. And I am kind of a journalist, but only kind of. So there you go. That's a dream of sorts realised. Leeds, 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 what is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. You're listening to episode 26 and my guest, Ed Carlisle. This is another Zoom interview recorded 19th of October 2021. Ed Carlisle is a community activist who co-leads on various projects, including the Big Bike Fix, Leeds Repair Cafe, South Leeds Life Newspaper, Beast and Festival, the Space Youth Programme and the Holbeck Viaduct Project. Ed lives in Beeston with his wife and two kids and is the lead candidate for the Green Party in South and Central Leeds. I have included links for those projects in the show notes. I'm not going to waffle here today, but there might be more waffle on Monday's episode. Let's get into this. So what is it that you are doing now then? So, so I do many things. So, uh, so I live down in South Leeds and Beeston with my family. Uh, I have a very scattered um, work life uh, just... Yeah, the theme is very much around community development work, uh, but um, it features lots of things that evolves and changes over time. Mm-hmm. So um, I, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, so some of the things I do. So I help to coordinate a bike fixing project where we take in lots and lots of unwanted bikes because lots of people have bikes gathering dust in their garages or basements and we fix them up and then give them out to to local people in the community who want to get into cycling. Um, I uh, I helped run South Leeds Life newspaper. Um, I don't do the bulk of the work. There's a guy called Jeremy, who's the editor, who is the the mainstay, but I'm on the board for that. And I write for it. Uh, I helped run Beeston Festival. Uh, I do a little bit of youth work um, and, yeah, coordinate a a programme of of, uh, youth clubs and youth events uh, called Space. Um, I mean, I could, I could go on. There's, um, should I go on? Well, I, I mean, how many of these, so my, my first question is, how many of these roles are sort of employment? How many are they through, like, are you self-employed? Have you had to set up a company to do all of these and then pay yourself through that? Like, how do you, how do you work it? Yeah, um, so, so the bulk of my employment over the last pretty much my whole working career the last 15 20 years has been self-employed uh, so actually something I was something I was doing for many years and now I'm very much on the periphery of by by choice um, so there's a city it's a small city-wide charity a leads-wide charity called together for peace um, and I have been I was involved from the early days onwards in the 2000s early 2000s and that, that we do community development work creative community development work around the city so for many years I co-ran that um, and that was it was self-employed work but it was uh, yeah at times pretty much full-time full-time um, so that was yeah so that's kind of set the the tone for my career and then to this day a lot of my work continues to be the work and the paid work I get is, is self-employed so 
the big bike fix project we we've been given a bit of funding for that and there's a local charity who have kindly agreed to to hold to, i suppose be our legal body and to be our financial administrative administrative body because the 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 project basically fits within their charitable aim, so it kind of fits in one of their projects. And then I just I invoice them. Um, and then yeah, some of the other projects I do sometimes afford me small bits of money. Um, my the youth work is is paid. It's uh, via the Salvation Army. Uh, mm-hmm. They kindly um, they very kindly employ me part time and have done over many years. Um, so yeah, and and quite a lot of it is not paid. How did you get into it? Did you come through a route of like, what was your first job? Did you go into work and then you were like, I don't like this. I want to be doing something else. Like what, what brought you to this kind of work? Yeah, so it wasn't a, it wasn't a strategy I set out to achieve. Yeah, like many people came to, came to Leeds to study, came in the 90s, fell in love with the city, decided to stay on. And then, yeah, in the early 2000s, moved down to Beeston, South Leeds. Some, yeah, and I think this, this is a key part of the story which is that I then found myself um, living very, very cheaply. Like I was in a shared house with some people who were paying 19 for a week rent and some, some people had very kindly nicked and written off my car. So I didn't have a car anymore. So that wasn't an expense I had anymore. And, and I was doing lots of, um, I started doing community volunteering stuff and some of it was, I was doing the turnstiles at Ellen Road a bit and just doing small bits of, yeah, just casual bits of work and found that that then I was able to live pretty cheaply and that I mean that wouldn't have been sustainable for the whole of my life I don't think it was mm. sustainable for that time and it just meant that I had quite a lot of freedom and autonomy to um to do the things I wanted to do and develop the work and the, and the work patterns that I wanted to develop um I got some part-time mentoring work at what was then Park Lane College which is now part mm-hmm. of the City College so that was uh, but again, that would that kind of fitted within the the rest of what I was already doing. That was working with refugees and people seeking asylum. And then, yeah, and then soon after that, um, started what started off as a volunteering thing with this this organisation called Together for Peace, which at the time was new, then became a somewhat paid job. Like it was in the early days, it was very lightly paid, but um, we. We developed um, credibility. We developed momentum, and we became a more a better funded organisation than ever. I'm sure I was working below the minimum wage, mm-hmm. kind of, you know, throughout my time there. But yeah, putting in lots of hours, but getting a reasonable part time salary, and then just continuing to live on the cheap, really. Um, mm-hmm. uh, here in here in South Leeds, and yeah, just being a bit of being a bit of a skinflint, really, and just not. You know, not not buying too much stuff, and but yeah, quite happy with that. And, but but anyway, it just affords you a lot more autonomy and uh, and freedom to make decisions about what you want to do. So has that been the key then? Is that being what has allowed you the flexibility? The like basically keeping your expenses really low, so that any money that comes in will cover those expenses. Is that how you try to work? Yeah, it? I mean, also, I mean, I, I guess it's worth it's worth talking about privilege as well. Um, so I I had the opportunity to buy what was then a cheap house in Meanwood in the nineties. Yeah, don't mind giving the figures. It was kind of it was the house was about forty grand. So I bought that, mm. uh, and then by the time I sold it, it sort of tripled in value, mm. which then en- enabled me to buy a 
house outright without mortgage here in Beeston. And living without a mortgage or living without rent is a privilege. Um, so that's part of the story as well. Um, and, but yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, th- I, th- I think it's worth having, I was talking to some students recently about this, like I think it's really worth getting to grips with the idea that if you can reduce your outgoings without making yourself miserable, um, then you can, it is still, even in this day and age, still possible to, live reasonably frugally um, and still be happy and yeah and then just not be so much on the conveyor belt of just needing to just you know just earn and earn and earn just to keep yourself afloat which I appreciate lots of people are in and it's yeah as I said I think privilege is part of it and not having not having rent or, or a mortgage is, is definitely it's definitely been a key thing for me but nonetheless I think any of us can if yeah can kind of find ways of building autonomy into our economies. Mm. So, I mean, what, what takes up the most of your time? Is most of your time taken up with the voluntary activities, the unpaid work, or is most of your time taken up with, you know, funding applications to try and fund the work that you do do? Like, or is it just a balance of everything? And on top of that, I want to, sort of get you to touch on kind of work-life balance and like do you think you've got that work-life balance now then um okay so what yeah what do I spend most of my time doing um I so I don't spend a lot of time writing funding applications I should probably do more of that and I'm sometimes a little bit lazy and a little bit lucky I guess Mm. not outrageously lucky but it's a bit lucky that Things like the bike fix project kind of certainly is kind of hit. I don't know. It's just it's kind of it's hit a whole load of targets and tick lots of people's boxes. So like we've not been given loads and loads of money. We've just been given bits modest modest amounts of money from a couple of different funders. Um, and also we yeah, there's a bit of a social enterprise element to it as well, where we sell about one percent of the bikes we get donated and then make good money. And, 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 but yeah, that money, it, the money kind of gets dished out amongst um, the team and um, I have to buy lots of spare parts and blah, blah, blah. So, but anyway, so I don't write lots of funding bids, um, but should or could possibly do, do more of that. Um, so, I mean, if I'm honest, at the moment, I go through phases. Sometimes I end up doing a bit more paid work than at other times. Uh, at the moment, I'm just doing... Oh, it's just a real mix day by day. But yeah, doing doing quite a bit of stuff for South East Life at the moment, newspaper and news blog. And yeah, and then like another thing that's definitely not paid um, is so I'm involved in uh, local politics and local campaigning as well. So alongside the projects, also just I'm in contact with a lot of people about um, and social behaviour and issues with housing and things not being empty and a whole load of other stuff. And I suppose just... Um, doing the work that I think the councillors might be doing more of, but they're not. Um, so uh, doing that, and then and then alongside that, then standing the elections and doing year-round campaigning work, I suppose, for want of a better word. Um, and yeah, and so just try to weave that through everything else I'm doing, whilst also not wanting to politicise and everything I do either, and not wanting to. 
create contradictions and tensions there. So, um, so yeah, in short, in, in answer to your question, so the majority of the stuff I do at the moment is unpaid, but by, by hours, but then I get just about enough salary oh. incoming to make it work. My wife also works part-time, so um, that's together. It makes uh, just about enough of an income for us to, to get by. Um, oh. And do I have a work-life balance? Probably not. Um, I do, yeah, like lots of people, I suppose, working with with flexible work. I guess my work feels more like a lifestyle than a job. So, yeah, do quite long hours on it. And try, I think, I mean, I think the, the key thing is I could try to, I try to spend good quality time with my family, particularly on the three o'clock till seven or, seven or eight o'clock slot I after school and weekends and whatever and try to yeah try to be a reasonably attentive dad and husband um but also yeah work a lot on evenings after the kids are in bed do lots of zooms and sometimes stay up till the middle of the night just catching up on all the unanswered emails and all that kind of stuff um and, and i think actually then one other thing I, again sometimes this works sometimes it doesn't but i try to weave my uh kids and family kids particularly into into the community stuff so mm. take them on litter picks and they kind of they come to the bike fix project when i go there and help me give out bikes to people and all that kind of stuff which i think doesn't totally do their head in mm. i guess time will tell when they're completely when they yeah you know, when they're 30 and they hate me <laughs> so how did this all come about? Was was there a plan here or was it just kind of happened? Okay, so it, it, it's not, I definitely didn't have a master plan that I've followed, that I've stuck to. I think I just, I, th I think there, there's a really, oh, there's a really good book that I haven't, I, I need to reread, I haven't read it for years, called uh, Leadership in the New Science by a writer called Margaret Wheatley. And it looks at uh, new science, also known as quantum science, and what we can learn about it, and how we can apply that to our lives, and and yeah, she would say that the very mechanised ways of the way we organise society, the way we organise ourselves, are just really dysfunctional, um, and that we can find other ways to manage ourselves and manage our lives. And and she would say like, you know, finding purpose is a really key way of uh, kind of creating a, a path for yourself. So, and, and purpose is key and you have to keep working on purpose. And even if you're not deliberately doing it, it's, it's there for all of us. Like, you know, what, what is life and what's the meaning of life and what are we doing? And, uh, and I think it's important to give it, give it some attention and try to make it conscious when we, when we can. I think if you mm. spend your whole life uh, working about what you're trying to work out, what your purpose is, I think that could be unhealthy as well. I think it could be, could become so-called navel gazing. But um, mm. so I think, so yeah there's definitely something about purpose i suppose um as i was coming out of my studies in the early 2000s um i definitely had a sense of purpose even if it was all quite unformed which is i want to stay around in leads i want to continue to invest myself in the life of leads i want to get involved in leads i want to serve i want to be part of stuff i want to be part of cool stuff i want to be part of interesting creative work um and, and i think at that time I think I could have. I think at that time I could have imagined myself going into any number of routes. I, think I could have become a civil servant, um, 
I think I could have ended up working for like a big charity doing kind of program delivery within a big charity. Like, I guess, yeah. I, and I mean, and then the other thing is some of the best kind of campaigners and community activists I know that they have work, often part-time work that pays, pays their way. And then they, that isn't, doesn't necessarily link with their activism and campaigning work. And, and they do that and it pays the bills and they give, uh, I don't know, 10 hours, 20 hours a week to, to the stuff that really sets them on fire. Um, so anyway, so yeah, that's, that's where I started going with it. And I guess it's just evolved over time. And mm. yeah, so the, the organization Together Peace that I co-ran for many years, that was a key part of, of my journey. And, and I think the fact that it was, I mean, the, the organization very much is, it endures and it's ongoing. I'm, as I said, I'm by, by choice, I'm somewhat on the periphery of it now. Um, but I think the fact that I was, I was a part of it and it was a big part of me for a decade really, or well over a decade, and there was a, a reasonable level of financial security within there. It was, it was, it was a, a reasonable part-time salary. That meant that I was just able to, I suppose, learn, yeah, learn, learn about what, what I was about and what I was doing. And mm. uh, it, yeah, it gave me some financial security as I did that. And, and yeah, the longer you do this work, the, in many ways, the easier it becomes because you mm. just, you have a thicker and thicker web of relationships and mm. you more and more people kind of know and trust you and are willing to lend you stuff. And um, you have more, you've had more and more conversations with people and then you're able to innovate and make good things happen. I think a key part of, this is possibly too much of a tangent for you, but I think a key part of what I'm about is wanting to catalyze things that I then then don't hold but maybe kind of mm. remain part of if that's useful although in some cases actually kind of catalyzing something and handing it over to others and stepping away and letting them them do it that's been the case with a few projects being part of but kind mm. of catalyzing things and holding something for a period of time or holding possibly holding it for a long a long period of time but then just bringing others in so then it doesn't then all fall on me so there's things like the repair cafe or the, the holdback viaduct projects and I am by no means running that. If anything, I'm kind of somewhat on the back in the back seat of it in a way that I entirely welcome because other great people have come forward and are co-leading it with me, um, mm. and probably doing a better job of co-leading it than me. And yeah, you know, you must have heard people talking about you know working on a project. If you're not working on your own project, you're working on someone else's project. Mm -hmm. um, but as you've just said there you know you, you you like to sort of catalyze things and hand it over to other people i mean do you feel that that's working on your own project do you do you feel like you that that is what your project is that you're like i can get this done for you i uh i guess in some respects i get i mean it's, it's nice actually so my i have a good window from my office that looks out across the city because i can see the city before me and I guess I kind of see Leeds as my project, really. Mm. Um, and uh, I love Leeds, and um, yeah, committed to committed to Leeds, and, and love being part of Leeds, and love being woven into the mix of Leeds, and making good things happen here, always alongside others, because it's it's dull working on your own, and yeah, just being part of good stuff. And and, and there's something as well. It's about it's, you know going back to the whole idea of just reflecting about 
you know what you're you know what you're about and why you do what you do and i think that's maybe i didn't quite state this strong enough i think everyone everywhere should be working hard at trying to work out what their purpose is um and why they do what they do and, and what drives them and what motivates them so just think that's it will it will yeah i think the the more of us who have a strong sense of purpose the better and there are there are really good kind of social and philosophical and theological narratives that can really nurture us and sustain us and mean we don't get burnt out and give us creativity and give us good gifts um and it's and, and but equally sometimes our narratives can hold us back as well anyway so that's kind of the why but I think also just kind of learning what you're about and what you do well. And uh, yeah, I think from experience, I think from someone who is is quite good at just sometimes patiently so, but just pushing a project forward over time and gathering people to that thing and putting the jigsaw together of kind of people and ideas and resources. And, and then in many cases, then just stepping back or somewhat stepping back and mm. you know there, there are people who are much better at me than much better much better than me at any number of things like fundraising or administration or mm. um know, just there's there's lots of very gifted people out there so it's just about trying to find those people and yeah helping them get stuck together and then making these good things emerge um mm. so i guess that's yeah so you learn your you learn your craft and you learn you know, and it's and it's good and right that we all improve our improve our skills and get better at especially the things we're not by default good at. So I'm a better, I'm much better administrator than I was 15 years ago. And uh, but yeah, there's something also about learning what you're good at and and then uh, working that groove. So are you? Would you say you're like? Are you the the one that kind of comes up with the ideas, or are you more of a realizer? Like, do you sort of make people's ideas happen or do you generate the ideas yourself as well? Well, you know, a bit like they say, Shakespeare didn't come up with a single original um, idea or not a, certainly not an original narrative. I, again, I guess thinking about some of the things I'm part of. So the bike fix project, you know, people have been fixing up old bikes for a very long time. There's some great organisations in, in, in Leeds who do quite similar to what we're doing. We're doing it in a slightly more localised way. Um, but yeah, they've, they've plowed that furrow in many ways. We're just, we're mimicking them mm. um, and, and kind of watching and, and learning how they've made it happen. Um, the Repair Cafe um, project, like, you know, we, we didn't come up with the idea of Repair Cafe. It's been happening for 15 years or so, but, you know, this conversation was happening in the city. Me and others were saying, oh, we should create a Repair Cafe in Leeds. And, and, you know, the stars weren't quite aligning and people were too busy to make it happen. So we just, sometimes you just kind of sit on the project and wait for it. And then mm. an a moment arrives and someone has capacity and you hold an event and people come to it. And then you, and then you kind of, you know, it's not that your work is done, but then you kind of roll it forward a bit and uh, a project emerges. And I think there's something as well, just think about Repair Cafe as well, there's something about remaining part of, something if there's something mm. useful as long as you're not a hindrance staying part of something and um helping like any organizations there's two two projects i'm part of that are just somewhat just hit rocky ground at the moment like nothing drastically terrible but just you know just the the complexity and chaos of 
life has kind of hit a bit. So then there's not something about just helping to steady the ship and quite possibly getting new people in and just mm. helping to kind of, yes, steady the ship and drive things forward. I mean, another project was the Holbeck Viaduct project, which I'm mm. working on with others. Again, people have been talking about opening up that viaduct for decades. That's so definitely not our idea, but it's there's something about just being the person or the people who coalesce people around the idea and patiently drive it forward. Mm. Um, Keep asking. Keep yeah. asking what's happening with this, what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and I think there is something... I mean, I quite, it's, it's, it's funny, sometimes people ask me, so Holbeck, the Holbeck Viaduct project would be, our iteration of the Holbeck Viaduct project has been running for about 10 years since mm. a bunch of us sat down in one of the pubs in Holbeck Urban Village and had a drink and said we should do something. And it's been somewhat slow going. Uh, mm. we, we, you know, we, we've now become an incorporated body and we're forming a board and talking to network rail and, and so on but it's it's been a slow old go and people sometimes say to me oh, is that is that not just really frustrating it's like you know what there's enough projects happening at a fast pace in my life i'm quite happy to just kind mm. of not quite sit on it but just hold it lightly and just try to gently kind of push it forward and in the in the in the recognition that it might never happen mm. um it's it's a huge infrastructural project um you know creating a bike project a bike fixing project is one thing but opening up a Victorian rail viaduct to the public and probably needing several million pounds to do so is a different category. Mm. But then there's a lot of work going on in the South Bank and so on, which, you know, that kind of development is naturally going to overspill into areas like Holbeck. So there, there becomes more reasons to potentially spend that money. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of reasons to open up Holbeck Viaduct. Um, mm. I mean, it's one of the... It's, Again, it's quite a nice project to be part of because it's essentially not controversial. Everyone loves it. Mm. Everyone loves Holbeck Rider. You know, what's, what's not to love? And, and, and again, it's, it's got every reason. Like it's, so it, it goes through what I, I don't know if it's still called Hol Holbeck Urban Village, but I call it Holbeck Urban Village. So it kind of goes through Holbeck Urban Village, through you know, behind Temple, Temple Works, Temple Mill, mm. through all the big South Bank developments there, CEG, mm. et cetera. And then it kind of, and then it goes, snakes its way around the back of old chapel studios and um and past established holbeck old holbeck and then up towards ellen road football stadium so it's it's perfect it can serve it could serve a very useful purpose for that corner of the city and, and i think it could just be a really good positive iconic thing for the city anyway mm -hmm. um but but yeah lining up the pieces or putting the jigsaw together for holbeck viaduct is just it's a whole different category than getting some old bikes getting a space getting some people like books and bikes mm. um that's that's a piece of cake really mm. okay so i'm gonna go before we go into the more like downer questions um i'm gonna do a sort of idealistic one so if you could you know as as jane mccalevy would put it if you could change three things about your work today what would you what would you change? So you can change anything to have it better. What would you change? Um, what would I change? So I mean, on the on the one hand, I am yeah. On the one hand, I'm pretty happy with with mm. my work, so I don't, I'm not itching to change lots. And I guess I will answer your question about that. I guess I have a reasonable amount of autonomy to change my work as I wish anyway. So mm. um, 
I like to think I would change the things that I want to change. I think I think one thing that I think about in the back of my mind a lot is just the psychology of work um, and just the the psychology of our work practices and the emotional don't know uh, things that we all get caught up in. So you know, I don't think I'm totally alone in this. I don't, to be fair, I don't think everyone does it, but I think a fairly wide range of it. I've got emails sat, sat in, in my inbox that I just I haven't opened. So I just don't have the emotional energy to open them. Um, and I will open them, and I will like I won't make you know because you have to open them because you have to respond. Mm. And I think there's something about I think because my life is such a jumble of different things, I think it then just creates yeah that, that kind of creates more emotional and psychological barriers. I think I think if you're working on a single thing, mm. then I think it does become easier. And I, and I can recognise that myself. Like sometimes, if I'm if a given project is coming, like a big event is coming, mm. then by necessity you just put everything else to one side and you just focus on that thing, and you mm. just work a lot more effectively. You just mm. you're focused and you have to focus. So I think just psychologically, I'd like to I like to think that I will continue to evolve and get better at just being a bit more rigorous, a bit more organized just opening up my inbox not being afraid of emails just open them one by one respond to them one by one mm. and almost not let the yeah not let yourself be dictated by the emotional or psychological barriers or something and i also think that somewhat related to that i don't know if this counts i think it's probably still the first thing i'd change like uh yeah when you when you get your head sorted as to even, even if it's a wide range of projects and a, a, wide, a wide range of things, if you kind of get yourself sorted and get your head into gear and, and know what you're about on a given day, then you just work about two mm. or three times more effectively than if you're still trying to, oh, what do I need to do today? What's the priority? And you muddle around and you diff- do different things. And uh, yeah, every so often you'll have one of those days mm. uh, where you're just on it. It's like, oh, I wish every day could be like this because mm. you just get a lot done. And mm. And that's good. So that's one thing I'd change. Um, I think I would like to, although I do collaborate with everyone or Mm. with a lot of people on all these projects, I think I would like to collaborate more closely with, I think I'd like to be part of a small team in some respects. So it wasn't always easy, but when I co-ran together for Peaks, it was essentially me and uh, two mates co-ran it over uh, about 15 years together. And yeah, and we, you know, we were we were different, and we had we had our differences, and it wasn't always easy. But I also think there's something really good about working in uh, working in a team, and yeah, because you you have your different strengths. So I think I would benefit from working more closely with. Uh, yeah, with somebody, particularly somebody who, who I think brings a bit more rigor and uh, order. I think, mm. like, like I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't say I'm a chaotic worker, um, mm. but if there's a spectrum from really bad chaos over here to really kind of bureaucracy, bureaucracy, and really overorganized and that, yeah, deathly deathly control um i'd say i'm probably 55 percent towards the kind of the 
the, the chaos end. Yeah. Um, um, and, and actually, on this, Mark, again, this, this a, a second plug for leadership in a new science book. She talks about needing to balance chaos and order and hold balance, and, um, chaos and chaos and order and intention uh, mm. to find the sweet spots uh, mm. within work. So, without order, nothing gets done. But without mm. chaos, like in the, allegedly in, in the Greek, the, you know, the Greek etymology of the word chaos, they don't have that negative sense of chaos is bad. Mm. Chaos mm. is about spontaneity, about the unpredictable, mm. about being open to new opportunities. So uh, there's there's definitely goodness within within the chaos, but without the order, it becomes hopeless as well. So that's well, two that's why, Yeah, go on. That's why you live in a city, you know, you live you live there for the chaos, the chaos of bumping into people and making new connections and so on. That's why that's why we're here ultimately, isn't it? Um, okay, third thing I changed. So I is I'd love to have a fully electric uh, van that I can just drive around because I'm like I'm forever ferrying stuff around like that. Kind of just woven into my life. I'm just always picking up unwanted bikes or getting washing machines like so that people don't want and somebody else wants it because yeah so here in South Leeds a lot of people particularly it's true everywhere but in South Leeds there's lots of people who don't have vehicles don't have transport don't have money to pay for transport and so something I've ended up doing a lot in the last few years as well is just shuffling furniture around and people are a bit like weird you spend lots of time doing that but it's not a huge effort really and it's, it seems to make quite a big impact so you'll have people who move into their flats and just have nothing and other people who are desperate to get rid of their three-piece suite so you end up just shuffling stuff around and everyone ends up happy um but uh yeah so my poor car is ready to die um at some point soon so yeah a fully electric amazing all singing all dancing van would be lovely yeah yeah okay three things okay so we'll go into i'm sure there are other questions that i wanted to ask you but we'll just sort of crack on with um so we'll cover a bit of covid how did the lockdowns affect you and were you like were you able to work at all or were you doing even more and more volunteering how how did that go for you i know people who really really struggle with the pandemic and with lockdown particularly people who were already alone or especially people who are already isolated it just exacerbated that in really bad ways so i'm definitely in no way diminishing that because i've seen it firsthand for myself i felt there were in my own life there were lots of positives with with lockdown and just the kind of the way that the pause button was pressed and lots of things stopped and um yeah my, as a family we didn't totally love homeschooling i'd say um that was that was pretty patchy, um, but we we muddled through and got there. But on the whole, yeah, on the whole, there were, I, th I thought there were lots of positives, and then and there were quite a few things that I was part of that just yeah, that were lots of things that just got stopped. So Beeson Festival is a big part of what I do, and that stopped. Uh, the youth program we um, we did that that stopped to an extent, although we did we did stand we stayed in touch with kids by other means, but. Mm. We weren't, weren't running a youth programme, doing trips with them and lots of stuff. South Leeds Life somewhat stopped. We stopped doing newspapers, I think, for um, a few months, as far as I can remember. So anyway, so lots of things stopped and I quite enjoyed it. But there was, so, but I ended up just, I mean, 
it's probably just a bit predictable really but I ended up being somewhat busy just doing different stuff um so yeah a, a mate of my a mate of mine and I ended up uh getting loads of uh, uh, yeah getting loads of PPE personal protective equipment and kind of getting it into care homes and frontline workers and all that kind of stuff and again it was just there's an interesting example of just putting just being the mediator so we were aware that there were a whole load of people who were making PPE because they wanted to do something. But then in some cases, because they weren't friends with the Conservative government, they didn't necessarily didn't have outlets for that stuff. And they weren't necessarily, they weren't looking to sell it. They just wanted it to kind of, they wanted to play their part and be useful. And then we were aware, yeah, of a whole load of people, um, particularly care workers and other, um, other frontline workers who didn't have the PPE they needed. So then just kind of, helping to make that connection. Uh, so we did quite a lot of that, um, did a lot of food deliveries, uh, particularly junk you know, junk food via the, the Real Junk Food Project yeah. and other schemes like it. Um, so yeah, just kind of getting food to where it needed to go. And yeah, like di the digital access stuff. So that was um, families in particular, not some families just not having laptops mm. or tablets. And so therefore uh, struggling to engage with uh, with school work so some great people set up these digital access schemes to get unwanted laptops and tablets and get them serviced and cleaned up and wiped clean and and then into the community um oh. and and, and it, again that wasn't that wasn't my project but, but again just playing a small part in just helping to put the jigsaw together so yeah that was some of what i did and yeah i, I mean like another another feature from last year and, it, and again it wasn't it wasn't my project but just helped helped some other people there was the buy leads campaign around encouraging people to um buy from independent and local businesses so yeah the lead up to customers just again play the part in just helping to helping to build that campaign and i guess one thing i don't know so because i've been in south leads in Beeston and thereabouts for um the whole of my working career I struggle to always get perspective, but my, my, my sense is, and lots of people agree with me, that South Leeds is, is more, is, is less connected with the rest of the city than other parts of the mm. inner city. I think when you're talking about your Morleys and your Pudsies and your Guyses, I think, or Ockleys, they're, they're different again because they're kind of, they are somewhat their own. Like satellite, yeah. Satellite communities. But I think like within the city, South Leeds, LS10 and LS11 are somewhat disconnected. And so I think sometimes it's just about trying to bridge that gap um, mm. into the city, which I feel well connected with, into mm. and out of my community. Mm. So uh, I don't know which way to go around, but I think uh, we'll start with climate change, given that, you know, you're a Green Party candidate. So, yeah, what's your, what's your feeling as we move further into climate change? I mean, how... How do you see your work changing, being affected? Do you see it becoming more and more of a necessity? Do you think what you're doing is going to be more what everybody's going to be doing? Or like, what, what's, your, what's your feeling on it? What's your sense? Uh, how much do you think it's going to affect your work? So, um, it's yeah. a bit of a stupid question, I know. but no, it's, no. No, Well, no. I mean, the way that I've formulated it in terms of how is it going to affect your work, because obviously there's going to be large-scale effects across yeah. the board but yeah um, no i think it's i think it's a great question i just think everyone should be considering what climate change is 
what impact it's going to have on on their lives because you know we're, we're not going to be able to continue business as usual um and yeah so yeah i think yeah i think i think it's i think it's great that people are engaging with the reality of climate change um i think there's still a huge leap for all of us as to working out how we can meaningfully respond to it other than you know maybe just cutting out plastic from our lives or reusing plastic bags or whatever like i think we need to i think a wide range of us need to be actually all of us just need to be getting to grips with how we can enable our communities and cities and everything to just yeah to make that quantum leap to engage with it and engage with it well i guess i'm i'm somewhat of an optimist about life in general but um i do also think we have to get re- we have to get real about the fact that um we're not going to avoid we can't, we can't i can't see how we can meaningfully decarbonize our society and societies across the world can't meaningfully decarbonize societies to the point where we we dodge the bullet and, and avoid it. Wow. Um, I think it's possible some of the technologies, like if carbon capture comes on stream and is that's maybe just possible that, that can really kind of take off some of the hard hard edges of what climate what climate change might mean for us all of this. But essentially climate change is coming, it's going to have a big impact. And so therefore I think we have to put as much emphasis on building resilience into our communities and our society mm. as actually trying to stop climate change. We do need to stop climate change. We need to try to decarbonize the society, so the world, so that we enable this, we enable ourselves as the world to avoid the worst excesses of what climate change can be. But I also think that, yeah, we need to work hard at resilience. So that's, I mean, that's broadly what I'm doing. So I don't, mm. I don't spend that much time relatively kind of trying to work out how we can how we can have a low carbon society really like if if i was then i might have created a community wind farm by now or i might have then i might have done lots of kind of that kind of stuff i do i do bits of that and actually i could talk to you about a, a housing thing that i'm a little bit part of but on the whole what i'm what i'm trying to do is i'm just trying to build resilience into my community um, so there's um, there's a really good movement called Transition Towns. At the beginning, they wrote a handbook called the Transition Towns Handbook. And at the beginning of that, the writer, a guy called Rob Hopkins, he says, you know, in this book, we're going to talk about lots of things. We're going to talk about how you can basically build a, a low-carbon community. Um, and we're going to talk about lots and lots of tech and, and things like that. He said, but the good news is, like, you know, uh, we can all start responding to climate change right away. Like, even if you can't imagine what it would look like to, to build a wind farm in your community or even kind of insulate your own house, which is you know, the biggest job. So the thing that we can all start doing right now is just, just talk to one another, just build connections, build connectivity, build trust and social warmth in your community. Because then whatever happens in the future, your community will be that much better placed um to respond to the, the crises ahead um so i guess what i'm trying to do is i'm just trying to work across south leeds work across leeds to build that resilience build that sense of creative collaborative community work trying to yeah trying to get people to just see that they can um they can work together and they can make a difference make good things happen in the community reduce waste 
you know, in, improve that whole thing about reuse and just wanting to almost build, just sow the seeds or get thin end of the wedge stuff on, um, yeah, starting to work out what it could look like in a, a somewhat kind of post-crisis society. So let's assume there is going to be a climate crisis. Um, let's let's try to work out what kind of what we can do now to sow the seeds for building a somewhat generative community or city beyond that, as opposed to it all just getting like Mad Max and everyone not just killing one another. Um, so yeah, and and and, and there is and, and I mean there's another thing that it's it's a small bit of what. I do, but I'd like it to become a bigger part, which is about community growing. You know, there's incredible edible is happening. There's some great people across Leeds and across the UK doing that. And I think that's, again, a simple thing that all of us can do, which is just thin end of the wedge, just start growing stuff in our communities. So we can then hopefully build on that in the coming years and not all start to death. So are we, given your COVID-19 experience and the experience with the lockdowns, are we resilient? Like, is it there? Did we handle that well? And can we handle the next thing well, given what that experience was like? Uh, I think I think there is some resilience. Mm. Um, I think there could be a lot more. I think there's mm. just a lot of, yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all stuff that is, I think, very obvious. But yeah, we, in many ways, we live in an atomised society where, you know, people are somewhat disconnected from one another. Um, but equally, no, there is, yeah, there is some really good community connectivity, community spirit in, uh, yeah, I think some communities more than others, actually. I think it's, it's a bit of a magical, mysterious thing, but some communities have more community spirit than others. And mm. I think there is more resilience there than others. Um, I mean, here in Beeston, a fairly major part of, the history of our community was in 2005 when there was the London bombs um, and the world media descended on our doorsteps here in Beeston because three of the perpetrators of that either were from or had a close connection with Beeston so the world media turned up and, and I think there was there were a lot of concerns at that time that Beeston would just fall apart and mm. there'd be race riots and it would be awful uh, and I think it was pretty telling that the community for all its faults um, and there's, you know, there's lots of problems in Beeston, did hold together and, and stick together. Um, and yeah, I think all, whatever any of us can do to kind of build that community collaboration and build that community spirit in, you know, wherever anyone is, is, is valuable. And, and one thing I would say about that is, um, it's, it's nice knowing people and talking to people and you know, talking to your neighbours, that kind of stuff is nice, but there's nothing really like it other than the best thing is to is actually to build collaboration so building like community is okay but building collaboration is better because the relationships and the links forged when you do stuff with people when you're interdependent with people because you're fixing bikes together or gardening together or, or, or whatever um mm. makes for much stronger links mm. just a quick aside here so on the you know you're writing for leeds south leeds live you're doing a little bit of journalism there so you, you're doing a little bit of media work do you see that as part of your activism as well do you see that as you know do you see yourself as kind of a bit of alternative media are you able to talk about what you want to talk about in that or is it mainly just copy for you know 
for adverts for an advertising magazine sort of thing? Uh, no, I mean, I think, so I think Southie's Life is a great model. Um, mm. I think we've stumbled on something pretty good. Mm. Um, it's worth mentioning as well, there's over in West Leeds, there's West Leeds Dispatch, which mm-hmm. we see very much as our, our sister publication. They're also great people. And last time I checked, there's some people in East Leeds who are looking, I don't know quite where in East Leeds, I don't know what their uh, geographical boundaries are. But anyway, there's some people in East Leeds also looking to do something similar. And I think, um, uh, yeah, I think, I think South Leeds Life is, we're not, like we're not slaves to the advertisers. We've got just the funding model we've got means that we're pretty autonomous really, which is mm. great. I think, yeah, we owe a great debt of gratitude to um, to this guy, Jeremy, who's kind of been the, the engine within South East Life over many, many years. And I think, mm. yeah, without without him and, and, and the role he's played, I think it would have been, I think we'd be less autonomous. I think, you know, he works for, you should probably have this conversation with him. Um, but yeah, he works for a pittance really and puts in the hours and, and helps create this, this really um, not quite unique, but certainly very special community um, mm. resource. And yeah, I see it very much um, linked. It's not, it's not aside from my community work. It's kind of, it's, it's, it's very much part of that. Embedded, um, yeah. I'm not quite sure I would, I'm not sure I'd necessarily put it in my, within an activism bubble. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. Like I, I do, I do at times definitely consider myself to be an activist. Um, and then, but then you can have interesting debates about, uh, yeah, like, is a community activist different to an activist? Um, and obviously we're just talking language here, but I think... Uh, well, I think is an employee an activist for the company that they work for, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're given a, a line to follow. Here's the party line. Here's what we believe as an organisation. Here's what we do. Go and do it. We pay you to do this. So yeah, yeah. in a way, that's, you know, you're, you're acting that lifestyle out. So that's activism to a degree, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, so I think... Yeah, I, I guess activism means a lot of... It, what you're doing, it, I suppose. Say again, sir? What, what, you're, what you're doing, what yeah. you spend your time on, I think. To yeah. a degree. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. No, I'm, I'm not like... As I said, I'm very, I'm very comfortable with the, with the word activist, and I'm definitely at times an activist. I think with, I think with South Leeds Life, we... I think, you know, South Leeds Life isn't an activist publication, mm-hmm. and there are activist publications out there, and we're not it. We, we aim to be a community newspaper stroke news site and we there are definitely articles we run which are somewhat more activist and I think I think there's something about definitely something about community advocacy and giving a voice to to people um, and wanting like yeah we did a big feature in the last few weeks that I was involved with it was about it was basically it was a conflict between some developers and, and um, who were doing a big a big development and the local community and the local community feeling like the, the developers were being irresponsible and, mm. um, and social, the developers saying, well, hold on, we're doing a big development. Of course, there's some disruption. We're sorry there's some disruption, but there's, there's always going to be disruption. But it was, yeah, it's about kind of giving, giving voice to those residents and giving them the opportunity to, um, I suppose, yeah, to, to say their piece. Mm. And that's, yeah, as, as, as I said, and like, I, it's not that I was without empathy for the, the developers. I don't, think the, I don't think the developers were kind of the bad guys, but I think there was something there about, 
I suppose, trying to shine a light and, and bring some accountability to the, that situation, uh, which is, a, I think, a form of a form of activism. And that's that's not uncommon. We try to do that kind of thing. We, yeah, we shine a light and try to bring some accountability. Um, and also sometimes, yeah, bringing some accountability to the council. So the, there's there's some great people within the council and there's some great councillors, but I also think that sometimes the council can be a monolithic and somewhat unaccountable organisation doing what it wants to do to communities. And I think it's I think it's right and proper that publications like South East Life play a, play a part in wanting to yeah just uh, bring some accountability. And I mean yeah, the media has a key part to playing democracy, as we all as we all know. Just um, just mm. wanting to offer a different speaking truth to power, all that kind of stuff. Mm. There you go. But I, I suppose as well on the media, I mean it's good to kind of banging on about this recently but the the sort of you know they'll they'll run all these stories about like oh why does everyone hate each other so much and why all this hate and stuff and it's like because of you yeah yeah <laughs> you read your newspapers <laughs> yeah 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 so you know but they're always excised from the conversation aren't they it's always the public that are at fault or the or somebody else it's never them that's done anything oh, no, absolutely not yeah they they, <laughs> they don't act in the world <laughs> No, 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 they just report. No, I mean, it's an interesting one, actually. So this, this comes back to a conversation I had with somebody a couple of days ago. So, so within South Leeds Life, we try, like, we try to be a nice newspaper. So we, you know, we, we're not just about reporting all about the terrible things in South Leeds. We're trying to, you know, we'll, mm. we'll do a photo of, you know, some people who are just doing nice things in the community. Mm. Um, but there's, there's, a, there's also a danger then that you... Uh, and we certainly, you know, we, don't, we definitely don't try to be antagonistic or, or whatever. Um, but I think there's a danger then that if you go down that route, you then you kind of lose your bite. And, that, and there's important that the media has that role, which is challenging and, and holding to account. There are elements of the, the mainstream media that are just, as you've touched on, just completely mad and degenerative. But I think, yeah, we shouldn't we shouldn't aspire for our the, the newspapers to just become tame either um mm. they, they need to be places of vigorous debate and discussion and, and i guess part of the issue is that they have become uh, yeah i guess southeast life is we aim to be and we are quite a crowdsourced newspaper like quite mm. a wide range of people write for us and we certainly we regularly say to everyone in the local community please write yeah write for us anytime you want and i guess yeah the issue with the mainstream media to a large extent is you know they are the narrative is carefully controlled, and it's not um, it's not a crowdsourced model. It's a but uh, it's sort of what what Eaton thinks we all have to think. Yeah, essentially, is Brexit going to affect your work? Has it affected your work? I would kind of imagine the answer is yes, and that you would be doing more work because I'm so parochial and so local in my work. Then it's not that it's it's not had an obvious direct impact mm. like i just i do stuff in south leeds and south leeds is still here and south leeds mm. hasn't changed that much i mean i think yeah there are definitely some there are some fault lines this isn't this isn't necessarily about brexit but yeah there are some fault lines in us in our communities as we all know and um you know the there was a time when there was quite a lot of yeah, I grow, I think, really, locally about should we be Brexiting or should we not? And that was, mm. you know, that was both in the lead up to the vote and afterwards. So, and I, my, my main focus 
at that time, and it continues to be really, although not about Brexit so much, is wanting to just try to foster a culture within our communities where people can have good, honest debate about stuff and not feel they have to agree with everything, but at least just kind of have respectful dialogue around big issues, be it COVID and vaccines and Brexits and uh, just, you know, who you vote for and all this, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, 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 I, and I suppose coming back to climate change, I guess the danger is that if climate change and related issues to it, so, you know, the possibility of, of further financial crises, if that just applies more and more pressure onto our communities, the danger is that these, these fault lines become more and more toxic and dangerous. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, in times of, I suppose, plenty, people are less likely to really decide they hate one another because actually they're okay and they don't want to risk you know, yeah they don't want to risk what they've got but the danger is that actually if people are that much more stretched and stressed then the danger is that uh yeah things become more toxic and more dangerous i think i mean certainly it, I, I guess it's hard to pull apart the impact locally of oh. 11 years of austerity and and Brexit and the, the impact of, of Brexit or not, and the impact of COVID or not. Oh. Um, but certainly, yeah, kind of frontline resources are, community resources have been much reduced. And oh. that is meaning that some people are slipping through the nets. And yeah, like a, a classic one is, is mental health, mental health provision. There's just a lot of people with, yeah, who are, who struggle with poor mental health and, uh, it feels like there's less and less for them, and I get yeah, but I guess it just puts more and more emphasis on people who are doing community activism. And there, like you know, there are some really there's a wide range of really phenomenal people in South Leeds just making things happen. Um, and they, they, many of them, I don't think, would even recognise themselves as activists, but they're just making good things happen in the community, which then can create avenues for people to connect with other people and just. We feel feel like they're part of the community, and then just be happier. Mm. The work that you're doing, I mean, you know, in a general job, a salaried job, you're producing, or you should be producing more than you're being paid. You know, that's that's the logic of the economics of it. Yeah. Um, so, do you think you're? I mean, do you think you're you're able to leverage that from your your sort of activism and volunteer work? Like, are you doing that at a really high level? Like, really, what you should be paying for, the amount of value that you're creating with what you're doing, should you be getting, like, thousands and thousands of pounds more because you're creating this value further down the line and within the city? Does that make sense? And do you have any, like, do you, would yeah, you agree I mean, with that? I mean, in an ideal world, I'd be getting, uh, I'd be getting, well paid to do this mm. work um and yeah we've got to cling on to the possibility of of creating better worlds i'm also conscious that um you know going right back to kind of the you know the whole situation around privilege and getting to buy a house and selling it and mm. then having a mortgage-free house uh yeah the, the the current the current situation the current economic reality we've got is that most people um, can't can't afford, or it's that much more of a, a struggle for them to afford to do what I'm doing. 
Mm. And actually, if we want to have communities where activism becomes easier, mm. um, not say, or then becomes like, it's not hard work, but it becomes a, a more feasible step for people to take, then mm. we need to change the, yeah, we need to change the economic financial um, systems that we, we live in. And yeah, I think, you know, community activists can put, can put a huge amount of value into, into their communities. Mm. And so therefore I want it to be as feasible as possible for people to, people to do it. So yeah, I mean, there's, you know, we could get into kind of policy, but you know, what, what can we do to maximize the possibility that people get paid a good salary or just mm. a reasonable livable wage to do to, to make their community better and let's, mm. let's just pursue that thread and make it happen mm. um so i know from previous manifestos of the green party that part of their um their offer is uh for a citizen's income so yeah. i have a question on ubi uh which is basically i mean like if we had ubi it started tomorrow you were getting like a decent decent amount how much would that change your work? Would you just be working more or would you work less or would you not work at all? What, what would it change? Um, it wouldn't, I don't think it would, it wouldn't change me at all. Um, it would just make my life more feasible. Like I, I don't think I could do more work. Mm. Um, I just, but do you think more people could work with you potentially, you know, because- Yeah, I, th I, think, I think what would, I think what would change is it, it would make activism that much more feasible. Mm. And whether people then would just, you know, there's, there's lots of people much uh, cleverer and more uh, better researched than me, but you know, whether lots of people then shift to part-time salaries and, or part-time work. And it would just create a lot, a lot more breathing space in, mm. in society for uh, collectively and for people everywhere. So yeah, I think, I think it could potentially be a total game changer in, in the world of community activism because it would just make it a lot more feasible. So I just, I mean, I know some, yeah, I know some really great people who in South Leeds who are just, I think have great potential to be those, whether or not it's even like a community activist setting up projects, but just people who are, would be, you know, actively looking out for people in the neighborhood and just kind of being those people who kind of weave other people together into, into stuff. Um, Isn't that um, just being a citizen as well, though, to a degree? No, it is being a citizen. But I think that in particularly in low in low income communities, mm. um, I think a lot of those people who I'm thinking of are just very squeezed. They're mm. having to work really, really hard just to kind of keep themselves afloat, keep their family afloat. Mm. Um, there's just a lot of there's just a lot of extra stress that wouldn't be there if. Mm -hmm. we, we set up things differently. So just think that UBI, universal basic income or citizens income, would just create a lot of breathing space for those kind of people and enable more people to be better citizens. Mm. Um, yeah, it would create a lot of, it would, it would improve wellbeing for mm. a wide range of people. People would just be less stressed, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, yeah, I'm, cons I'm concerned, especially as we're looking ahead towards the prospects of various forms of climate crisis, um, that the, the stress and the, the stretch will only get worse. Um, mm. And 
And I think his, history is fairly clear that at times of stress, individual, collective, um, you know, there's just bad stuff happening. So, you know, scapegoating and, yeah, and, and, you know, like the whole road rage phenomenon, people just then are just carrying around loads of stress and anger and frustration that then gets vented. And um, mm. so, um, I mean, I see, it's an interesting one, I, I guess. I, so I, I see plenty of people not, not holding back on social media. Mm. Um, and funnily enough, I mean, there's a whole thing of people not holding back and then not holding back about the fact that it's terrible that, you know, there's no free speech any, anymore. It's like, mm. look at yourselves. You're, you're saying exactly what you want <laughs> all the time. Mm. Um, I, I suppose I wonder, you know, is there just a silent majority of people out there who are carrying this stuff around and not saying it? And therefore, mm. we, we're just not seeing it on social media. Um, I think I, I would like, yeah, I, I would like social media to be, I'd like us all, all to embrace the possibility of social media. Um, around creating really good dialogue around big issues um, and in a way that I don't think is really fully embraced. So, I mean, I mean, Facebook groups are interesting because you're on there, you know, with thousands of people who you don't know, unlike, you know, if you're having a debate on your own Facebook wall. Um, and I've been part of some phenomenal, um, yeah, debates on local Facebook groups about refugees and people seeking mm. asylum about travelers um about just yeah just kind of fairly hot local topics but mm. i think it's or well, and climate change as well and and yeah and i think you can i think social media can be an amazing platform for you to have quite a wide-ranging difficult discussion and let's work hard at not shying away from those difficult discussions but let's have them let's let's you know if there are a whole load of people out there who Feel like they can't share their views because you know it's uh, because they feel they'll be shouted down or whatever and that's 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 a shame and it's a problem mm. because it means that a whole lot of people are carrying it around in them and we need to try to create an environment where actually it's good to have discussions and debates and not feel like we're going to shoot one another down um, mm. do you do all your own kind of social posts or do you like, is everything private or do you have to post socially for work? I suppose because you, you're doing the copy for South Lee's Life, so you'd probably be quite, you know, used to producing content and, you know, advertising content on online and marketing. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, I'd, um, yeah, I, I, I'd love to have some social media for me, but no, I do it all my own, all, all myself. Is it time yeah. consuming and does it... Does well, it... It's, it's a funny one, so... so yeah, yes, it can be, um, mm. but I. Well, okay, so it's worth saying. So with Southie's life, so although I write articles for it, so mm. Jeremy, our esteemed editor, he is the one who kind of he, he basically runs it and he does the social media for us. And so I don't, I don't do Southie's life social media, but yeah, I do. Yeah, I do all the social media around all these different, or help with social media around lots of the, the projects I'm part of, and I guess I struggle to stay keep up with it to be honest like mm. you know there'll be days and days that go past and i'll be like oh like it'll be one of those that emotional psychological barrier things like oh i need to go on facebook and <laughs> like i mean i'm an extrovert but i, I need to go on south side and just sorry on facebook and just engage with all these hundreds of notifications i've got yeah people asking me stuff and 
um, and oh, I've not done it for three days. And I suspect so and so is probably asking me about this. And blah, blah, blah. and it's just like there's something about wanting to um, hold the balance between the real world and doing stuff in the real world and the importance of communication. Um, mm. Like it, like it's easy for communication to be the first thing to to drop. You, you kind of leave it because it's not quite immediate and tangible. And, and, and but, but I think one of the things I'm passionate about is people, particularly community activists, often community activists will, they'll get into what they're doing and they're great at it and they're passionate about the community and passionate about making stuff happen, but not, not necessarily, don't necessarily give communication, be it social media or forms of communication, the, the attention it needs. So there'll be really good stuff happening in, in local communities. And, mm. you know, not enough people know that it's going on. Yeah. So there's, so there's not enough people engaging with it. So then these mm. things actually are not achieving their potential. And I also think, even if it's not necessarily about mobilising more people towards this project, I also think the stories we tell are as important as the work we do, just in shaping mm. our collective imagination. So, you know, I want people to be living in South Leeds to just have this sense that oh, there's, there, there are lots of good people in my community doing good stuff making things happen and that makes me feel good about the community i live in and it makes me think maybe i could do that as opposed to people hiding their bushels um under bowls if i've got that i've got that uh <laughs> proverb right um so yeah i think that kind of communication thing is is really really important mm. I mean, to a degree, that's a large part of your work as well, isn't it? I mean, you're, you're linking people up to other people, yeah. linking people up to information and ways of doing things and getting, you know, getting, getting washing machines to where they need to go. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but I think, I'll tell you what, I think it's interesting as well. Like, yeah, I think communication can be such an amazing tool, not just for the like community debates, but I also just think for shining a light on stuff. So the mm. whole like Viaduct project, we wouldn't be where we were if we without social media. But yeah, we, we use social media to, I suppose, if I'm if I'm broadly speaking, to talk ourselves up and talk, or not even talk ourselves up, but talk the viaducts up. So yeah, we, we have not really done work of substance on on the whole viaduct. Like yeah, we've yeah we've not done we've not done full surveys. We've not like, yeah we've not raised millions of pounds. We're not there's lots we haven't done, but at the same time, lots of people take us seriously because mm. our social media reach is, is good. There's another thing I'm part of called the Same Skies Collective, or possibly we are now the Same Skies Think Tank. And that's about campaigning around regional democracy. Um, so around what, sorry? Regional democracy. So right, it's kind yeah, yeah. of like, um, again, we could get into great detail on this. It's, it's basically linked to the whole devolution agenda, but we don't particularly use the word devolution. Devolution, we see very much as a, a bureaucratic transaction between different elements of government um, and it's fine it serves its purpose but we want to work hard at building regional democracy which would be kind of the people coming up to meet the evolution coming down and anyway yeah I, I'll, I'll spare you the details of the ins and outs of regional democracy but but essentially you know the same skies thing was for a long time it was just me and two mates basically kind of plugging away and doing it and holding events and doing some stuff on social media and um, and yeah, just a few little campaigns, always with others. There were always other people involved, but essentially just the three of us at the core of it. Um, and it's just quite interesting that a lot of people started taking us quite seriously. And I would mm. say out of proportions are actually what 
what we are substantially doing. And now, in the I'd say in the last year or two, we have hit a bit of a tipping point. And I'd, I'd say there is now there is, there is now a fair bit of substance to what we're about, and quite quite a load quite a load of new people got involved, and there's quite a lot of energy around it. And and, and that yeah, and that's good. You can't just keep hyping yourself ever without substance. But I think social media can help you to build profile and be taken seriously. And then that enables you to then hit tipping points and more people get involved and good things happen. There you go. Okay. I have one final question for you. Are you ever going to retire? Um, or do you think you'll be doing this, this sort of... I, think, I mean, I think I'll be doing this stuff for a very long time. I like to think that I will have the wisdom to slow down a bit as I get older. Um, because otherwise I'll just burn myself out. And I think um, uh, there's there's going to be some background noise. Children. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, there, there are some... Oh, so Emma, Emma, this is, uh, Hello. I'll see you in a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there are some fantastic old activists I know who are... Um, who are being forced to slow down because you know physically yeah, that's, yeah. that's what your body does to you and i think i think i will uh, hopefully be wise enough to do that we'll see time will tell time will tell thank you again to ed for being my guest thanks again to all my guests and thanks to you bugalugs for listening to this next time on working hours i will be talking to someone else not sure who yet i am but i'm not telling Come back Monday to find out. Same Leeds channel, different hour, different day. So if you're listening to this, then I assume that you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're that person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done a record for this yet, send me a message now and let's record your working hours session. Email this podcast, workinghourspod at western-studios.com with a short bio and some suggestions of your availability, or just send me your feedback, questions, comments and queries. You can follow this show on Twitter at WorkingHours3 and on Instagram at WorkingHoursPodLeads. I'm really interested to hear from anyone in Leeds or from Leeds in whatever industry, sector or role you are in. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Please consider supporting this podcast further. I need champions for working hours and that's exactly what you will be by giving me a pound a month via Patreon for this podcast. That's right, it's only a quid a month for loyalists to support and grow this project. Go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to sign up and offer regular support. Please remember to like, share, follow and subscribe to this show. Working Hours is presented, edited and recorded by Simon Treen for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Jews, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.